of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Over the last year, we've been working with a set of readings week to week called the Narrative Lectionary. This is different from our usual pattern of using the Revised Common Lectionary, which gives a set of readings over a three-year cycle that correspond quite closely with the church here. But as we've been working through this Narrative Lectionary, we've been following the story of Scripture right from the beginning all the way through. And we've been talking about the story that Scripture tells as if it were a six-act play. Now, for the sake of those who haven't been with us for that whole time, I wonder if some of those of you who have been, can you remember what those six acts are? What's the first act? Creation. Good one. We started at the beginning with the beginning. That's good. What's the second act? Fall. I heard fall. Yeah, there's the fall. What is the third act? Did you say redemption? I mean, that's sort of part of the whole thing. I'll give you a hint. No, I'll just tell you. It's Israel. Right? It's that period of Israel. It's a big act, isn't it? All that story, most of the story that the Old Testament Tells, right? It begins with the calling of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12, when God calls them, says, Come out of your land, I'm going to bring you to a new land. And God makes three promises I will give you lots of descendants, I will make you a people, and I will bless you so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So that's the third act. What's the fourth act? Jesus. Jesus. Yes, and we have just spent a lot of time in the Jesus part of the story, which is really the climax of the story, isn't it? Is the Jesus story. His life, death, and resurrection. So from Christmas to Easter, we've been following the story of Jesus, his teachings, uh, his life, and his last days that we came through through Holy Week, and his resurrection, that new life that we live in and we celebrate. What's the fifth act? Church. Church. Yes, the church, the time of the church. And now we're in that section of the narrative lectionary where we are having readings about the church. So we had that first and second readings, which were really one continuous reading with the psalm, breaking it up for the sake of those who have a little trouble listening to a long reading going on, on. That starts in the book of Acts, which narrates the first decades of the life of the church, probably the first 30 years or so after Jesus' resurrection. So we're in that act of the church. What's the sixth act? Remember what the sixth act is? It's, it's the new creation or the recreation, right? It's when God makes all things uh, good again, sets everything right. Um, as I like to say, in the end, all will be well. If all is not well, it's not the end yet. So that's what's coming. So we have this story. We know how it begins. We have the first few acts. We know how it ends. We know that it ends well. But we have this fifth act the time of the church, and we have some of it in scripture, but it's an act that we are living in today. It is an act that is not finished being written. And so we are actors. We know how it, how it ends, how it begins, and in the middle we're plunked without a script, and we live into it. We sort of improvise on the themes that we've been given. 
So today we have this reading from the book of Acts, and it's a good one for giving us some clues for how we live into this part of the story. So we have Peter and Cornelius. Peter, a good Jew, Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Now the book of the Acts of the Apostles has long been known by that name, the Acts of the Apostles, but I wonder if we might better call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because this story is one of those examples where it seems like the Holy Spirit is out in front doing some good work, and the church, the apostles, are sort of trying to catch up. Let me look at some context for where this story fits in the world of the time. So we have Peter, who's this good Jew. And in the early church, which is mostly Jewish people, right? Jesus was a Jew, his first followers were Jews. They had some things that set them apart as a particular people. And there's some good things that helped them survive an awful lot of difficulty in their history. And things like the practice of keeping Sabbath. This was an identity marker that every week on the seventh day, they would cease from work and they would rest. That was a part of keeping their identity, especially when they were people who were in exile, and even when they came back into the land, they're under foreign occupation, they're under Roman occupation, they're keeping their identity. And food laws and dietary restrictions were another big part of that identity. What made them who they were, what set them apart. It was religious for them. There were certain things that they could not eat. And so here's Peter having a vision one day, right around lunchtime, he's hungry, he falls into a trance and he has this vision of animals being lowered down from the heavens on a sheep. And he sees that some of them are good for eating, but some of them, reptiles and some of those birds, would not be what he would consider clean food. He hears the voice, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Now you remember a bit about Peter's story, right? It wasn't long ago that there was Peter while Jesus was on trial, and Peter denied Jesus three times, denied that he even knew him. He's had enough failures in his recent past. He's not going to mess this one up. This must be a test. Get up, Peter, kill him. Oh, no. I see what you're trying to do there, but you're not going to trick me. I'm a good Jew. I wouldn't eat these things. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. I won't eat that. The voice says, Peter, don't call unclean when I am made clean. And you know about Peter, he's a little bit slow to learn the lesson. So this has to happen three times. And afterwards, he's puzzling over it. When some men show up at his door, they've been sent by Cornelius, this Roman centurion. A Roman centurion who is quite drawn towards the Jewish religion. He quite likes these customs. So he's trying some of them on, right? Uh, he's giving alms to the poor. He's praying. In fact, it was at the hour of prayer, three o'clock in the afternoon, that Cornelius had his encounter with his angel who said, send for Peter. And so these men come, these Gentile men come. Now, these Gentiles, these Romans, they don't have the same dietary customs. Peter doesn't want to mix with these guys. They can't really be together because they don't have that shared identity. But Peter has just had this vision and he says, Oh, maybe that wasn't about food, actually. Maybe that's about something else. Well, yes, 
Peter is discovering what God has been saying from the beginning. Remember, go back to creation. When God speaks everything into existence, all creatures, all animals, humanity, what does God say? It was good. It was good. It was very good. From the beginning, God has been saying, this is good. And now Peter is hearing that in a fresh way. Oh! These people are good, too. So these men said, Peter, come with us. Cornelius has sent us. Please come. And he does. He goes. And he meets Cornelius and his family and friends. And he shares the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And while he's speaking, maybe the Holy Spirit is giving Peter a little nudge to say, you're going on a bit too long, son. While he's still speaking, he hasn't even finished his sermon. The Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles, and they started speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues was the sign that Peter and the other disciples, other Jewish disciples of Jesus, had on the day of Pentecost, when they're gathered in the room together, and they're afraid Jesus has just died, they don't know what's going on, they don't know what's next, and the Spirit comes on them, and they start speaking in tongues. And Peter sees that this sign has been given to these Gentile people as well. And he says, we've got to baptize them. Now, in the book of Acts, the normal pattern has been that someone would preach a sermon, people would be baptized, and then they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But this has got the order a little bit out of sync. It's like the Holy Spirit is working, and Peter and the church have to catch up and find out what's going on. And so they're baptized, they receive the Spirit, and they invite him to stay for several days. That's a little throwaway line at the end of the reading. They invite him to stay for several days. This never would have happened before that vision and this encounter. There's no way Peter would have stayed with these Gentiles. They couldn't possibly eat together. They couldn't be together. There's a huge transformation that happens with Peter. So what are some of the themes from this story that we can draw on as we seek to improvise into this fifth act and live it up today? Well, first, God's people have never existed just to be an in-group, a holy huddle insulated from the rest of the world. Since the call of Abraham and Sarah to be a people through which God would bless the nations, it's been God's, God's very strange idea really, but it seems to be a consistent idea that God would work with a group of people to, to, to complete God's will for the world, that God chooses a particular people, but always towards a universal end, towards the flourishing of the whole creation. So we as church today don't exist just for ourselves. We exist to walk with God in the renewal of all creation. The second thing God is already at work out there in the world. God was already at work in the life of Cornelius, in his household, drawing them in. Peter comes into the story only once Cornelius is already prepared to receive the Spirit. In this reversal of the usual pattern of Acts, Cornelius and his household receive the Spirit and then are baptized. The church is catching up. Usually, and we, we have this in our liturgy, right? 
We have baptism, and that's followed by confirmation. And confirmation is that, that prayer, the sending of the Spirit. Normally the pattern is baptism and then Spirit. But here the Spirit is working ahead of Peter. And that Spirit is ahead of us in the world. So God sends us to be agents of good news in word and deed. And the Spirit goes before us. The third thing. This story has sometimes been called the conversion of Cornelius. But the one who undergoes the more radical conversion is Peter. Of course, it takes that threefold repetition of the vision and the sudden appearance of these Gentiles. It takes a while for the message to sink in, but when it does, Peter undergoes this radical transformation from rejecting the possibility of even eating with Gentiles to being full members of the same movement with them, to be co-disciples with Christ. We are people who are called to go and while we are on the way to make disciples. In the words of our baptismal vows, we are called to proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ. As we go and do that, we might find with Peter that we are the ones who are transformed, that we are the ones who are converted. So this week, may you be ready to go where the Spirit calls you. May you be ever watchful for the Spirit at work in the lives of those around you. And may you be open to the transforming work of the Spirit within you. Amen.